Readings from Luke 24, verse 13, down to verse 35. If you're looking using the Red Bible, it's page 1106. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor in Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen, he's appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. And continuing on at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
When he had led them out of the, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Well, do you feel bold uh, in mission? Uh, is that you? Or, uh, like me, are you more fe- fearful in mission? How do you feel about talking about Jesus with non-Christians? My guess is that most of us fear, feel fearful and inadequate. And so I, I want to just share with you from this passage tonight, I think it's got lots of great encouragements encouragements that Jesus is worth talking about, encouragements that he's still worth talking about, and the encouragement that when we do talk about Jesus, Jesus is talking through us. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. My favourite TV show of all time is The West Wing, and The West Wing is characterised by a lot of talking. It's dialogue heavy, and it specialises in the walk and talk. That is, they are walking somewhere, and as they walk, it doesn't matter where they're walking to, it's all about the talk. Emmaus is irrelevant in this story. What matters is that there is so much to talk about. Jesus was powerful in word and deed, they say. Clearly a prophet. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But he was crucified. And now he's dead. And as they talk, you can feel their disappointment. Not just disappointment, but their confusion. For verse 22, that morning the women had gone to the tomb. They'd found that his body wasn't there. They'd seen a vision of angels they talked about. And then some of the men went and had a look and found it just as they said. But it was so unexpected, so unlikely, that they continue to feel disappointment and confusion. And we feel that as we hear them talk, but we feel it more because we know who they're talking to, these two. We know the one they are talking about as dead is actually the one they're talking to. And we feel their disappointment and their confusion, but we know they shouldn't be disappointed and they shouldn't be confused. Well, they're kept from recognising him until he breaks bread. Their eyes are opened and they recognise him and they don't feel disappointment any longer. They don't feel confusion any longer. What do they feel? Excitement. He's not dead but alive. And so what do they do? It's not a walk and talk anymore, is it? It's a run. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. They are so excited to talk when they get there. And you can imagine their disappointment when Peter has stolen their thunder when they arrive back. Peter, the people are saying, Simon, has seen the Lord. They say, we too have seen the Lord alive. And then suddenly, there is the Lord amongst them. They all recognize him, but it is so unexpected, so unpredictable, they don't believe it because of joy and amazement, it says. And he shows them his hands and his feet. He eats some fish 
and they can't stop talking about it. Do you remember those boys in Thailand in the cave a bit over a year ago, the soccer team, their coach, trapped because of the unexpected flood? Twelve boys and their coach, four kilometres underground, trapped by water in complete darkness for nine days. And we heard about it on the news, didn't we? And I remember when I first heard about it, I thought there is no way those boys are getting out. They are as good as dead. And yet 10,000 rescuers came together. The world's media came to watch. And we all held our breath. We talked about nothing else in the news. And then they got them out. Every one of them, they were as good as dead. And they came out alive. It was so worth talking about. Jesus was not just as good as dead. He was dead. And it didn't take any rescuers. He was certainly worth talking about that day. And I think if any of the disciples tried to bring up another topic about something, everyone else would have just stared at them. Jesus is worth talking about. And not just what he did that was worth talking about, that he rose from the dead, it's who it shows him to be. You feel their disappointment, you feel their confusion because of what they hoped for, that he would be the one to redeem Israel and clearly he wasn't for he was crucified and dead and Jesus says you are so wrong verse 25 how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory Jesus is saying don't you know one Samuel we looked at it earlier in the year the Christ must suffer and then enter his glory. And so when this, this seemingly prophet, you hope that he'd redeem Israel, gets crucified and suffers, you should have been going, yes, he's the guy. He fills the expectation. The events show him to be the Christ, especially now that he's risen from the dead. Those boys in Thailand... That was extraordinary, wasn't it? They showed so much courage and got out alive. It was an extraordinary event. Does anyone here know any of the names of any of the boys? The coach. Why not? It was a world event. I don't know either. And I looked it up this week on Wikipedia. Why is that? Because the boys were ordinary. And the event showed nothing about them. They happened to be trapped in a cave and they may well have been courageous. I don't know what it was like for those nine days in the dark. But they are not the saviour. They are not the king and I don't think they will ever stand for public office in Thailand. The event doesn't show them to be someone but the resurrection of Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, He's the Christ, the saviour of the world, the one who brings forgiveness and new hope and new life. He's now entered into his glory and will come again to judge and to save. He's the king for you, for the universe, for your friends and family and workmates. He's worth talking about because of the event. He's worth talking about because of who it shows him to be. 
Jesus is so worth talking about, isn't he? But that was then. No wonder they were talking about Jesus on Easter Sunday once he was alive. What else would you talk about that day? It's like the boys in Thailand, isn't it? We were talking about it constantly one year ago. But this is the first time I've had anything in my head about them that anyone has said anything in the last nine months. It's old news. The world has moved on. And that's how we feel about the news about Jesus, isn't it? We think it is old news. Everyone I know knows that he died and it's claimed that he rose again. Even if it was worth talking about back then, even if people in the 50s turned up in droves to the Sydney cricket ground to hear Billy Graham, those times are gone, we think. And we are convinced people don't want to hear. It is no longer time to talk about Jesus, we think. He's no longer worth talking about. And we are so wrong. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What's written about him? Verse 46. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What's God's plan in the Old Testament? The Christ will suffer. The Christ will rise. Repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name will be preached to all nations. And as he says this to the disciples on Easter Sunday, there is no confusion for them where the plan is up to. He says will because that was the plan, do you see? But actually two of them are a has now. The Christ has suffered. The Christ has risen. The Christ will be preached to all nations. Disciples, you are here. It's time to talk about Jesus. Is it still time? There's only one step left in God's plan, isn't there? Acts 17. He has appointed a man to judge the living and the dead. He's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. It is still time in God's plan to talk about Jesus. Even when we think people don't want to hear about him. But even though it's still time to talk about Jesus, it's hard. It's too hard, we think. The opposition is too great. The task is too big. And we all feel inadequate. In my growth group this week, the opening question was, how do you feel at the prospect of talking to non-Christians about Jesus? There were a series of checkboxes and there was a range of answers, but everyone ticked the box that said, I feel inadequate. I don't know how to get started, I don't know what to say, and what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, we toss that around for a while. If you don't know how to get started, you can pray, can't you? 
like in the video, that people will ask you questions. There's a good way to start, boldly asking God. If you don't know what to say, you can read books and learn what to say. If you don't know how to answer questions, you can read books and learn how to answer questions. You can learn to be open and honest. And I tried to reassure everyone in my group, and I reassure all of you, that chances are you know more about the Christian faith than 99% of all non-Christians. Don't you think that would be true? If you've been a Christian for longer than five minutes, you know more about Christianity than the average non-Christian. Because you're in it, do you see? And you come here to church and you study the Bible. Do you think your average non-Christian is there at home studying the Bible for the same amount of time that you are? Of course not. There are ways to feel less inadequate. Be rational about it. But there's something here that is far more encouraging. Don't you think the disciples felt inadequate at this point? The opposition was stiff. They had just crucified Jesus. The task was pretty large. All nations, which as far as they knew was the Middle East, but that seemed pretty big to them. And they had just deserted Jesus and failed to expect him to rise from the dead despite being told that he would. They felt inadequate. So they must have found verse 49 really encouraging. And so do we. Verse 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Remember the plan? Christ crucified, Christ risen. Uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. What are you expecting Jesus' command to the disciples to be? What are they going to need to do to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations? One word, they're going to have to go. The pressure is on. And what is the one command that Jesus gives them? Do you see? I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but you stay. What a surprise. All you've got to do at this moment is stay. That's my command, disciples. Because I know how inadequate you are, I think. The only person in this verse who's going to do something is Jesus. He's going to send what his father has promised, the Holy Spirit, to give them power. That's exactly what he did in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came. And then they were able to talk about Jesus. Jared, Luke has a sequel, it's called Acts. And in the very first verse of the book of Acts, he tells you what this book is about. you see it there on your outline? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, he says, the book of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? When the book is about all his earthly ministry. He returned back to heaven, began to do and to teach. He's finished now. No. The book of Acts is all that he continued to do and to teach. We call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the risen Jesus. He does the work. 
And if you're not convinced by that, then have a look at this, this verse from Acts chapter 26, verse 23, there on the outline. Paul recounts God's plan, just like Jesus did. God's plan was that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Who proclaims light? Who proclaims the message of Jesus according to this verse? It's Jesus, the Christ. Do you see, we think he's gone up to heaven and left us with the job. Little old me and little old you feeling inadequate and he's hanging around up there waiting. No. He said, stay to his disciples. I will send you my spirit and I will be the one proclaiming. What does that mean in the day to day? When you and I are stumbling around trying to figure out what to say, how to get the conversation started, how to turn it to Jesus somehow, when someone asks us a question and we say three dumb things before we manage to say something sensible about Jesus, we're so inadequate. But even then, Jesus is the one speaking about Jesus and his words are powerful. And gee, that is encouraging. Jesus is so worth talking about. He is still so worth talking about. And when we actually talk about him, it is him talking through us. I hope you're encouraged. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we know about Jesus. And gee, he is worth talking about. An incredible event. He is the person at the centre of the universe and brings us such blessings. He is so worth talking about. Help us to believe, Father, because we doubt it. Help us to believe that he is still worth talking about, even when we don't think people are interested. And, Father, when we feel so inadequate, help us to believe this wonderful truth that Jesus, Jesus is speaking. And he can even speak through me and through each one of us. Please encourage us in Jesus' name.